Section 6 of Dwarf Fruit Trees. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ian Bradford, Nungunungataha, Pew. Dwarf Fruit Trees by Frank Albert Waugh. 6. General Management. The general management of dwarf trees is naturally very much like the management of ordinary standard trees. As dwarf trees are grown more often in gardens rather than in orchards, they will receive garden treatment. Heavy tools and extensive methods of culture will hardly find application. Good soil culture may be regarded as essential. Whatever some American fruit growers may be saying about the propriety of growing apple orchards in sod, no one has yet undertaken to adapt the sod system into the kitchen garden. The close planting which is customary with dwarf trees makes culture comparatively difficult, yet not unreasonably so. Apple and pear trees planted six feet apart each way can be worked for several years with a single horse and cultivator. In fact, if the trees are kept carefully headed in, the time need never come when the cultivator will have to be abandoned. When cordons or espaliers are planted in a garden large enough to warrant horse cultivation under ordinary circumstances, then the rows of trained trees should be set six feet apart, which will be enough to permit the continued use of the horse and cultivator between the rows. Figure 20. Horizontal cordon apple and other dwarf trees, with cover crop of hairy vetch. Photograph of two gardeners with wide-brimmed hats standing between long rows of horizontal cordon-trained dwarf trees, each row consisting of back-to-back -back trees grown horizontally, making each row look like a hip-height hedge. Short wooden posts and wire run the length of each row to provide support for the long horizontal branches. The vetch is grown between the rows along the footpaths. However, the horse cultivator is certain to be definitely crowded out of some dwarf fruit gardens. Many of the men who have greatest reason for growing dwarf fruit trees are those whose backyards were never large enough to justify the presence of a horse or horse tools. In such cases, the spading fork and the hand cultivator are the ready and proper substitutes. Our extensive methods of farming in America have bred a strong prejudice against all sorts of hand labor like this, but experience will show that under some conditions it is quite worthwhile. A very common mistake in all kinds of agriculture is to allow prejudice to rule experience. Figure 21. Designed for a backyard fruit garden 50 feet square. North fence, top of map, four peach espaliers, row one, seven bush apple, row two, seven pyramid pear, row three, eleven currant and gooseberries, row four and five, horizontal cordon apples, with grass walk between, row six, seven raspberry bushes, row seven, strawberries, row eight, seven plums in bush form. Row 9. Four apples in horizontal cordons. East fence. 31 apples as upright cordons. West fence. Pears in espalier. Illustration of a garden layout using geometric shapes inside a square box to show placement for each plant as described above. Drawn to scale. Garden culture means not only good tillage of the soil, but good treatment in other respects. It means good feeding and good spraying. As for spraying, we need make only two observations. First, the treatment to be given is almost precisely the same as that which is given to standard trees of the same species. 
Second, the work is much more easily performed because the trees are smaller. If one happens to have a considerable block of dwarf trees closely planted, there may be difficulty, it is true, in driving in with a spray pump. This difficulty is overcome by having long runs of hose on the spray pump, so that the cart may stand on the borders of the garden while the operator carries the nozzle in among the trees. In case of large plantings of dwarf trees, alleyways should be left every 100 feet, or better, every 80 feet, between the blocks. These alleys will be useful for other purposes besides spraying. Figure 22. Dwarf Fruit Garden, 111 by 144 feet. From Lucas's Handbuch des Aufstubes. Hand-drawn overhead illustration depicting a formal garden with long rectangular planting beds containing double rows of pyramid-trained trees. Straight walkways surround each bed, allowing access from either side. Single rows of pyramid trees are also used to border the garden as a whole, as well as differentiate non-tree-planted sections of the garden. In the management of a small garden, the gardener is expected to be liberal in his allowance of fertilizers. While it is true that dwarf trees should be liberally fed, there is a possibility of overdoing it. It has already been explained that the dwarfing of trees depends in a certain way on its well-regulated starvation. If the treetop could get all the food which its nature calls for, it would not be dwarfed. The rule in feeding dwarf fruit trees, therefore, should be to give enough fertilizer to keep them in perfect health and in good growing condition, but not enough to force unnecessary growth. Fertilizer rich in nitrogen should be especially avoided, and, as the object in view is to secure an early maturity of the trees and to produce fruit always in preference to wood, a larger proportion of potash would naturally be substituted for the diminished proportion of nitrogen. Of course, the amounts and proportions of the different elements, nitrogen, potash, and phosphoric acid, to be applied will vary greatly with different conditions, with the nature of the soil, the age of the trees, etc. As a sort of standard, we may say that under normal conditions of good soil with dwarf apple and pear trees in bearing, there should be given annually for each acre 400 pounds ground bone, 400 pounds muriate of potash, 100 pounds Peruvian guano. Peaches and plums require more nitrogen during early growth, and more potash when in full bearing. For a new plantation of these trees, the following amounts should be given annually for each acre. 300 pounds ground bone, 400 pounds muriate of potash, 150 pounds nitrate of soda. For peach and plum trees in bearing, the following formula may be suggested. 400 pounds ground bone, 500 pounds muriate of potash, 100 pounds Peruvian guano. Inasmuch as many owners of dwarf fruit trees will have so much less than an acre for treatment, it will be best to repeat these formulas, reducing them to a smaller unit, making this reduction somewhat freely in order to avoid long and useless decimals. We may compute the quantities needed annually for each one hundred square feet of land as follows: for apples and pears in bearing, one pound ground bone, one pound muriate of potash, one quarter pound Peruvian guano for peaches and plums newly planted. 3 quarters of a pound ground bone, 1 pound muriate of potash, 3 eighths of a pound nitrate of soda. For peaches and plums in bearing, 1 quarter pound Peruvian guano, 1 and 1 quarter pound muriate of potash, 
one pound ground bone. Cherries should be treated like plums, gooseberries, currants, and most other fruit, like apples. In the home of dwarf tree culture, that is, in Europe, trained trees are extensively grown upon walls. The gardeners utilize for this purpose not only the walls of stables and outbuildings, and of those enclosed gardens, but long ranges of brick are built for the special and exclusive purpose of accommodating fruit trees. In southern Germany, in Switzerland, in Belgium, in France, and especially in the neighborhood of Paris, there are hundreds of miles of these walls. The walls may run north and south or east and west. Both sides of the wall are used, even when one side faces the north. Currants and gooseberries are expected to thrive on north walls. West walls are considered especially favorable for pears and plums. The walls are nearly always built of brick. They should have a height of 10 to 14 feet. Each wall usually has a coping at the top with a projection of 10 to 18 inches, which sheds the rain, protecting both the wall and the fruit trees. Where extreme pains are spent on the culture of fancy table fruits, there are curtains hung from rods along the outer edge of these copings, and the curtains are drawn to protect the ripening fruit from too hot sunshine or to protect the blossoms in the spring season from late frosts. Brick walls, with all their aperturances, are less important in America than in Europe, and the advantages to be expected from this particular method of culture are decidedly less. Walls would more probably be useful for peaches and nectarines in northern latitudes than for any other fruits. Cordons and espaliers require some sort of support, however, and where walls are not used, trellises are necessary. These may be of wood or wire. There is a belief current that the wooden trellises are better because they reflect less heat, but wire is so much cheaper and more durable that it will usually be chosen. Five or six wires are needed to make a good trellis for upright cordons. These should be placed 12 to 14 inches apart, with the lowest wire 30 inches from the ground. All wires should be tight, and to this end, stout, well-set posts are necessary. The wire should be loosened in the autumn, before freezing weather begins, and should be tightened again in the spring. Figure 23. Fruit gardening and landscape gardening combined. From Lucas's Handbuch des Austerbaus. The entire planting, exclusive of the borders, is made up of fruit trees and bushes, dimensions 752 by 1,362 feet. Hand-drawn overhead illustration of a large rectangular garden. The majority of the garden consists of long, curved garden paths with a free-form organic feel. Likewise, the trees are planted in more organic groupings instead of straight rows. At the southern edge of the garden are more formal, geometric planting beds and what could be a residence or perhaps a greenhouse at the top of a semicircular driveway. For espaliers, the woven wire fences are better. In fact, the woven wire fencing is excellent for all sorts of fruit trellises. Poultry netting makes a cheap and convenient trellis, but it is neither so strong nor so durable as the better grades of woven wire fencing. On the whole, it is very poor economy to buy a cheap trellis, or to put it up on poor posts. These trellises will need to be comparatively high, nothing less than 8 feet will be satisfactory, and for upright cordons a trellis 10 to 15 feet high will be much better. Of course, this entire height is not needed the first year but upright cordon apples will cover a 12-foot trellis in five years. Peaches or Japanese plums will cover the same trellis in three years.
In the selection of varieties for growing in a garden of dwarf fruit trees, the horticulturalist will naturally be guided by principles altogether different from those which control him in the selection of varieties for a commercial orchard. He must, of course, consider which varieties are best adapted to the special stocks on which they have to be propagated. He must also bear in mind that certain varieties are better adapted than others for the special forms in which he may wish to train his dwarf trees. Beyond all this lies the great consideration that in the very large majority of cases dwarf fruit trees are grown to secure fancy fruit, not to produce a large quantity for a general market. All varieties of inferior quality would therefore be eliminated from consideration at the beginning, no matter how productive they might be, nor how famous for other things. Figure 24. A fruit garden containing many dwarf trees. A is the entrance, bottom. B, well or cistern, middle. C, space to turn a horse and cart, top. From P. Berry's Fruit Garden. Hand-drawn overhead illustration of a formal garden that is 150 feet wide by 250 feet long. The rectangular garden is enclosed by a wall with a single opening in the center of the south wall. Two rows of trees are planted following the perimeter wall, with walkways separating the two rows and the interior of the garden. The interior is evenly divided into four rectangular sections, with wide alleys big enough for a horse and cart to navigate. A circular well is located at the center of the garden, where the four inner corners of the four beds meet. The wide alley path forms a neat circle around the well. The semicircular space to turn a horse and cart is located at the northern center of the garden. Each of the four center beds are bordered by pyramid-trained dwarf trees with interiors of beds filled with closely spaced rows of cordon fruit trees. Varieties of specially good flavor would be given special thought, even though they might lack in hardiness or productivity. The special favorites of the man who owns the garden should be chosen, no matter whether they are popular or not. Then, for similar reasons, a comparatively long list of varieties will be chosen instead of the very short list always held by the commercial grower. From first to last, one should remember that the growing of dwarf fruit trees is essentially the enterprise of an amateur, not of a man who grows fruit for money. End of six. Recording by Ian Bradford, Nunga Nunga Taha, Pugh.